Well, how are you guys doing today? It's awesome. Yeah, let's praise the Lord just for an awesome day that's coming up. Hey, uh, as we starting off this series called Current, it flew me all the way back in my mind to my sophomore year of high school. I still remember uh, the party that I had gone to because a particular girl, her name was Cecily, was going to be there. Man, I thought she was like the most beautiful girl at her school. Totally would love to have uh, gone to the dance with her and all this kind of stuff. And so I had been kind of connecting and we've been talking with my friends. We're trying to build, uh, you know, kind of a friendship around that. And this was one of those opportunities. Okay, I'll go to this party. I'll find her. We'll, we'll connect. We'll hang out. And so I come around the corner and I remember this day, she's standing there with her friend and they're both smoking a cigarette. And that was just like something I didn't do at that age. It was like out of my mind. I'm like, and I froze. I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's one of those people. What do I do? What do I do? And, and this is a moment I will never forget. I thought I need to do something that makes me look cool. That, that makes me look just as edgy as her. And so I turned around and grabbed a wine cooler out of a thing. And he's just like, if you remember wine coolers in the 90s, first of all, that's not cool. Second of all, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't good either. And so uh, this was like the first attempt at trying to be cool. And obviously not being cool, it didn't work. But the, uh, she didn't really like me either. And so that didn't really work either. But it was the first moment in my life that I can really remember that I began to simply set aside my morals, settle aside the things I thought about that I liked and didn't like for the sake of being liked by other people. And I began to take a journey over those next six months of kind of transforming who I wanted to be in order that people would connect with me and like me. Have you ever struggled with that in your life? That sense of wanting to just say yes or allow yourself to be what somebody wants you to be just so they'll like you. I think it's a universal problem. And it's especially true for those of us who know we are people pleasers. Any people pleasers in the room? Right? You have a hard time saying no because, man, they may not like me or whatever. And that'll come out on your, on your Facebook page. It'll come out on Instagram. It'll come out everywhere. And trust me, the church is not immune to people pleasing. The church is not immune to this idea of wanting to be liked. In fact, far back, far back, in the turn of the century, 1800s to the 1900s, the church ran into this problem. In the 1800s, if you read the messaging of the church, it was unified, it was passionate, it was excited, it was doing great things in the culture, and the message of the gospel was going out from the pulpits. And yet around the end of the 18, 1800s, the turn of the 1900s, there was this transformation that occurred in the church, in which some people, mainly theologians and very uppity kind of um, scholastic zones, were saying, look, people aren't listening to the gospel anymore. They don't want this supernatural Jesus. There's no such thing as a supernatural Jesus. Nobody believes in miracles anymore. Science has disproven all this stuff. And so they began to say, you know what we need to do? We need to change the gospel. We need to change the messaging. We need to talk about the historical Jesus. We need to talk about this, this practical social living that comes from the teachings of Jesus. And so they began to wharf, and this split happened in the church. It was called the fundamentalist liberal divide, and it's been something we've been recovering from since. And yet what's happened in the last, um, actually, few, few centuries, or sorry, few decades now, a younger generation of evangelicals about my age and down has risen up, and they're looking at the scene around us. And they're saying, look at the millennials, look at the Gen Zers, look at the Gen Xers. These people don't want the gospel. They think it's intolerant. They think that it's evil. It's not bowing down to the right things. And you know what we need to do? We need to change it. I mean, look just look, the churches are emptying out. More people are declaring they are a nun, which means they don't have any faith, than they are declaring that they're Christians. And it's moved to a giant percentage. 
And that means we're losing their ear. We're losing what, they're, what, what they want to hear. And so we need to do something. They don't like the church. They don't like the message. They don't like the gospel. We need to change. And there are a lot of voices out there on the podcast world, out on the internet, that are making this argument. We need to change. We need to change. And today I'm just going to ask this question. Do we? Do we need to change the message? Is it really about being liked? Because I think that's the underlying assumption that we need to look at. Is it about the gospel being liked? That is the power of the gospel. What really generates the energy for transformation in life? Does it come from it being a message people like or, or a people that people like and all this kind of stuff? Or is it from something else? And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at what Dr. Luke wrote in what we know as the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, I would invite you to grab your Bible, open up to Acts 16. Because Dr. Luke kind of addresses this. If you haven't been with us in the book of Acts, what's going on here is that a man named Luke was asked by a Roman official to write out the history of the, of the Christian faith up to the time period, how it had gone from Jesus to Rome. And so in his first a scroll that he writes. He gives a biography of the life of Jesus, kind of researched and looked at. And then in his second scroll, he gives the first 25 years of the life of the church from when Jesus rises from the dead up to when it enters into Rome. And so this is what we're looking at. We call it the book of Acts. And Dr. Luke is writing this history of these events so that we can know kind of what happened. And now he's addressing a particular instance. Paul, who was once named Saul and was against the church, has been converted by Jesus appearing to him. He realizes Jesus rose from the dead, becomes a missionary for the king, for, for Jesus, goes out and plants all kinds of churches. In the middle of this, suddenly there's this giant like issue over whether or not Gentile nations, non-Jewish people need to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. And the church gathers together and says, no. They just need to follow Jesus. They just need to be after him and trust that he has taken their sins and we're good with this. And so Paul goes out announcing, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish. And he rebuilds his churches. So he's on this journey as Dr. Luke picks it up here in verse 6. And what we see is this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, for, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And people go, that's nice. What are we talking about? Here, I'll show you. And so we have this situation. They start marching up through Galatia, see that on the far right, and Phrygia over there. And so they're going, God does not allow them to go preach the word in Asia. So they get stopped. So they decide, okay, well, when they had come to, up to Mysia, so they go north. When they come to Mysia, they decide, hey, let's attempt to go into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. And so they decide, okay, well, I'm not going that way. So passing by Mysia, they go straight to Troas. And this is what you just, this is what it's talking about, this little journey. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, it's in the text, but also because I want to point out something. The one who directs the gospel is God. Notice it's the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is taking care of his message. He's the one that's aiming it. He says, no. Why in the world would Jesus say no? Why in the world would he stop a message from going somewhere unless he had a purpose for it going in the direction he desired? What we begin to see is that the way Dr. Luke understands the power of the gospel is that the, what plugs in is not us, it is God. God is the power of the gospel. He's the one who's going to guide it. He's the one who's going to lead it. And what these men are, what they understood is they were the wires, right? They're going to plug in to this message. They're going to go wherever God leads them, and they're going to go plug into where God's taking them. And so they were very aware 
of the presence of God in the middle of this. Now, lots of questions on how did they know they weren't supposed to go to Asia? How did they know they weren't supposed to go to Bithynia? And the answer comes in all kinds of forms and sizes, right? Oh, there was an earthquake and a mountain slide, and then they couldn't go that way. Or maybe there was a big rainstorm. And the bottom line is it says the Holy Spirit told them and the Spirit of Jesus told them. And I believe what's going on here is that Paul and Silas and his team were very much aware of asking God constantly, God, where do you want this message to go? God, where do you want me to take the message? We are the wires. Where do you want us to take the message? Have you ever asked that question? You ever sat down and asked God, God, where are you leading me? Where are you taking me to take this message? And I know that's not a popular question. Trust me, because I've asked that question in youth ministries for years and I'll talk about it in my house. And inevitably, the same answer kind of prop, crops up as it crops up in, in my oldest son. He'll sit there and like, why don't you ask God what he wants you to do? He's like, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. He's going to send me overseas. I'm going to have to be a missionary, and I don't want to be that, right? That whole problem. Anybody there with him? And I just look at him and say, son, it's okay. God knows you're not going to be a missionary. It's gonna, he's got something better for you. Don't worry about it. He knows you, right? But here's the thing. We're so scared. God's going to send you somewhere you don't want to go. He's going to send you somewhere where you, you, you know, that's not where I want to be. I don't want to have to go out there. And so we don't ask the question, God, where do you want me to bring this message? Where are you taking it through me? If I'm the wire and you're sending me somewhere, where do you want this to go? Here's the beautiful thing is not only were Paul and Silas willing to ask the question, they were brave enough to obey. Think about it. They were like, don't go to Asia. They didn't try to be like, well, we're going to figure out a way anyway. Maybe it was just bad pizza last night or bad, you know, some bad olives off the, off the tree or something. We're going to go anyway, and we're going to head into Asia. Je Jesus doesn't stop the gospel. No, they were very clear. Jesus is saying, don't go there. So we're going to be brave enough to follow. Why do I say brave enough to follow? Because let's be honest, so many of us have been told in our lives at times, go do this. Bring the message to that gym. Bring the message to your neighborhood. You know, bring the message over to your friends in your class or bring the message to, you name it, your workplace. And we're like instantaneously nervous. Isn't that true? When God tells you to do it, it's, it's nerve wracking. There's an enemy who's attacking you with fear. There's somebody out there who wants to stop you and he wants to hold you back because there's no way the enemy wants the message to keep going. And our flesh doesn't want to be humiliated and we don't want to look like idiots and blah, 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 but we're scared. I'm scared. It happens all the time. But what we need to be is to be reminded that we have not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of sound mind. We've been given the spirit of God. In fact, I love how the author of Hebrews puts it. This has been haunting me all week. As we know that God guides the gospel, we got to obey and go forward and not shrink back. And he puts it this way. Yet for a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What he's talking about here is he's talking to a Jewish people, and this Jewish people have come to Jesus. And now in the midst of the turmoil and the difficulty of being Christian as a Jewish person, they were starting to run back to Judaism because they didn't want to deal with all the conflict. And, and the author of Hebrews says, no, listen to me. We follow this one who is coming and he will not delay and he will not shrink back because God doesn't have pleasure in cowards. Scripture is very clear about this. And so he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere in their souls. In other words, don't be scared of the pressure, my friends, that you're feeling. Stand up. 
We don't shrink back. You've given a spirit of courage and strength. Rise up, stand firm, stop believing the lies. And here's the thing. We shrink back for far smaller things, don't we? We shrink back for the thought that somebody might not like me after I say this. We shrink back from the thought that this might not go well. We shrink back from the thought of the embarrassment, not from the actuality of it. And yet what the challenge for us is, is to not shrink back, but to say, God, where do you want me to take this? And then take it there because he will clarify it. Notice how it continues. He does actually answer them. They finally get over to Troas. And so it says, and when Paul, or sorry, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So whatever he ate, he had a vision in the night. There's something's going on. Jesus is trying to wake him up. This is the conclusion. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God will make it clear. I know for all of Branch, he's made it clear. We are to preach the gospel in the Timiskau Valley. We are to preach the gospel in South Corona. That is the calling for all of Branch at this time. It is our job to bring this message and to care for the community and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people. God may have individually called you to your block. He may have individually called you to that gym. He may have individually called you to your workplace. But God is calling us, like the wires, to attach somewhere, to get it to the people he's aiming at. And so as we see this clarity, he begins, to, he begins to call us to that challenge. And so to obey. And they do this. They take off and set sail immediately. Check out how this continues. We see that, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Whoops. And off we go. So there it is again. So it's going to go straight across. And you'll notice Samothrace, this little tiny island in the middle. And what they did is they stayed the night there. And then they sailed over to Neapolis and then up to Philippi. And that's what the text tells us. Now, when they get to Philippi, what's really interesting is you've entered a city that is a lot like San Diego. Not in the weather, not in that kind of stuff, but San Diego's a military town. It's a military city. It's very, very thick in its passion for the United States because you got the Marines, you got the SEALs right there, right? I mean, it is a town about the USA. And what's interesting is so was Philippi. They were Roman through and through because it was a military retirement town. You went there after you were done. Everybody there used to be in the Roman legions of some kind, had been somewhere, and they were there with their money, inheriting their town, and they had just been given the right four years earlier to again become their own place called Macedonia, their own area. So Roman pride is flooded into this town. And you need to know that because it's important as we start rolling through the rest of the text. Otherwise, the reactions of the people don't make a lot of sense. But when he comes to this city, he begins to engage. And so he goes into the city and it says that we remained, we remained several days. And I, lo I love this. Stop and look at that for a minute. We remained in this city some days. Who's the we? Dr. Luke has now joined the party. He was picked up in Troas. He sailed across and he's joined them on this journey. This is not some dude's writing Several hundred years later, what you are reading is an eyewitness account at this point. Dr. Luke experienced some of these things. So much so, he says, I was there. That's what the we is all about. And so it helps us to remember that we're not reading a fiction. We're reading history. 
And so Dr. Luke says, hey, we remain in the city, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, the strategy of Paul, just so you guys get it, was to go to the Jews first and then to the nation second. So his job was to find a Jewish synagogue in the city and enter in. But this is a Roman town, and there is no synagogue. So they go, well, where are we going to find Jewish people? And it was the habit of Jewish people to go out of a city to a nearby water, waterway so that they could wash, do the ritual washings, and have time doing kind of their, their, their church kind of stuff, which uh, their synagogue. So they go out to the riverside. They find some ladies who have gathered because there's not enough men in the town, Jewish men in the town, to actually form a synagogue. And so these ladies are gathered. Now, here's the weird thing. Paul is Jewish. And according to Jewish custom, you don't train women. And yet he's going to. So he sits down and he begins. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Why does he tell you she's a seller of purple goods? In other words, AKA she's rich, okay? Seller of purple goods, had a lot of money. It was a rare item to have purple and it was a commodity that was very, very expensive. And so she made some expensive stuff, probably had a nice house, a large income. She was well off and yet she also was not Jewish. She was a worshiper of God. She was a God-fearer. And what we see here is suddenly an interesting situation because as Paul is speaking, it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she, was, she urges saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Now what's interesting here is that Paul and Silas and Dr. Luke and all the team have shown up into this town and they've gone, where do we go? What do we do? God, what are you doing? You sent us here. What's happening? Now, if you're going to follow where God leads you, God is going to give you opportunities and he's going to give you results. And that's exactly what happens. They suddenly have these opportunities with these women, but that's nerve wracking. I don't know if we should be talking to the women. Should we be doing this? Well, Jesus did. Let's do it. And boom, God opens the heart of a, of a Gentile woman to receive Christ. And she is so excited. She brings them their home and provides for them. Now, what's interesting is I want to challenge you that God will do the same for you. If you know you're supposed to go to that gym, there's going to be that opportunity as you're working out and your gym rat buddy starts talking about spiritual things. You're going to go, okay, God, is this that time? Opportunity. Are you praying for the opportunities? Are you looking for the opportunity at work? Are you looking for that opportunity in your neighborhood to connect with that neighbor, to connect with that person, that friend, and go, oh my goodness, this is what God's been leading me to do. I need to open my mouth. I'm going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be awkward a little bit, but I'm going to try. And you'll be amazed at what God begins to do. You don't know if he's going to open their hearts. Our job is not to power the gospel. Our job is to plug into people. We don't know what he's been doing in their history. We don't know what they've been going through. But we need to be present and ready to give that opportunity one more time. And that's what we're called to do. And you're going, great, that, that's scary. That's hard. I don't even know how to present the gospel. And that's why we do our share keystone to give you that opportunity to grow and learn how to ask good questions and engage with people. But you know what? There are some of us that, to be honest, you're brand new Christians. You're like, all I know is I'm trusting Jesus in this thing. I'm following after him. I don't know what to go with. I'm trying to understand all this sacrifice and all this stuff. But I trusted Jesus to give me eternal life. What do I do? Well, you're in the best position. You think Lydia understood everything in order to go home and bring her family to Christ? No. She did what classically has been done by Christians throughout the centuries. They just said, hey, come and see. I know somebody who knows the way of salvation. 
hey, come and see. I know somebody who can tell you about this better than I can. And she invited Paul and the family to the house where they, apparently they gave their life to Christ as well. Now suddenly here is a family that's been changed and it will grow from there. It is as simple as simply saying, hey, come and see. In fact, when I was a brand new Christian, that's all I knew. I was a, a senior in high school, and I went into my honors class. I told you I'm a nerd. And so I went in there, and I found another nerd, and I said, hey, dude, you got to come check out church with me. This is awesome. We took him to the youth group. He gave his life to Christ. To this day, he's still helping lead worship at his church here in town. He and his wife have been faithful. Some of the rocks at that church, I've been so excited and proud of him because he has just been willing to follow Jesus. But it took just simple. It didn't take me explaining all the gospel and everything about it, but he heard it from somebody who could. But it took me to be brave enough to invite him. It takes you brave enough just simply to say, hey, come check out church. We'll go to, we'll go to lunch afterwards. Or check out church. We'll go to dinner later. We'll do Saturday night. We'll do, we'll do in the morning. We'll go to brunch. Hey, come to my house. We're going to do a Super Bowl party, and I'm going to invite the pastor. We'll see how this works out. Don't do that. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, you'd be amazed how often we get the opportunity to connect people who can explain the gospel, like at a Harvest Crusade or something, with people who are looking. That's still good. Don't knock it if that's where you're at. If you're seeking to grow and continue to develop so you can give the gospel, that's even better. God will give you opportunities and he will help you find results. This can happen and you will have this awesome, awesome opportunity. Now, some of us are going, that's great, Greg. I, I love that, but they're going to kick me out of the gym if I start talking about Jesus there. You know, they're, they're not really going to like it at work if I'm telling everybody about Christ. I'm a school teacher and I could get in major trouble. Yes, yes, yes. There will be opposition. Trust me, I know. There will be opposition. And, and look, that's the point. People aren't always going to like the message. But God overcomes opposition. God will overcome the opposition. You say, what do you mean? Well, check it out how this begins to work out. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This is a really odd um, passage. This young girl is a slave and she has been possessed by a demon that's called a python spirit. Now, a python spirit was a particular spirit of fortune telling and divination that was known. And the reason it's given the name python is not because it's oriented with a snake, but because python was the dragon that Apollo had said to have been killed and dealt with in the spiritual realm and overcome at the Oracle of Delphi. Now, if you've ever heard of the Oracle of Delphi, it's a famous fortune telling side of the ancient world. And the reason it was considered powerful and famous because military leaders and all kinds would go there in order to find out what do I need to do with my life? Tell me where I need to go and I'm, I'm listening. And Apollo was famous through his python spirits of telling people what they ought to do with their lives. And here is a young girl who's got this kind of a demon who's apparently doing pretty good because they're making cash off everybody around for her fortune telling. And here she shows up and she starts walking around with Paul and Silas and Luke. And she starts yelling, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she's doing it over and over, likely from the spiritual demonic location, which means that she's not moving her lips or she's saying it in a guttural voice. There's all kinds of weird descriptions of this kind of stuff where it's like, these men are the servants of the most, whatever. It's kind of weird. But Paul's looking at this going like, what in the world is this thing? These are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These are the servants of the most high God. All the way through the town. 
You think at first Paul would be annoyed, but instead he does something interesting because you'll note the very next line says this, and this she kept doing for how, what? Many days. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Paul found this advantageous. Hey, these, this girl's gathering a crowd. She's giving us attention. They're shouting about this most high God who's going to, and so people go, what is going on? This girl tells us how to live. This girl tells us about our future, what we should do. Okay, well, tell, I'll tell you about the most high God. I'll tell you all about Yahweh, and then I'll tell you about his servant Jesus who came to earth, who was God in the flesh, who bore your sins on the cross, who rose from the dead. And if you turn and obey him today, you will be saved from hell and the judgment that's coming. And so they got to clarify and they got to preach over and over and over. And so every day they went out, they would hear, hey, come, these are the movies of the most high God. You know, that whole thing. Down through the town, more would gather. And I want to note something. It, I, it's just one point. Paul's okay using a demonic spirit to be a lead-in in a culture with the gospel. It is okay to use certain things as illustrations. I'll give you an example. I have used Harry Potter to preach the gospel many times to young people. And I know there's like this, Harry Potter, ew, evil and witchcraft. And I get that. But the last portion of the story, spoiler alert, is that Harry goes to confront his nemesis, who is a serpent-like person. And as he attacks, as he deals with him, he is willingly giving his life, only to find out that he ends up destroying the serpent guy, making him vulnerable, comes back from the dead out of a choice, and in his love for his friends who he's protecting, casts a spell that guards them from any evil the evil one wants to put upon them. Does that sound familiar? That there is this one who died and rose from the dead that he might gather a people out of his love and protect his, those he calls his friends from the enemy. There are plenty of stories like Star Wars and there are plenty of stories like these fantasy tales that are haunted by the gospel. And don't fear that you can use these as a way with your friends to invite them to the true story that the mythology is all pointing to. Don't be afraid that we can do these things. But there is a point where clarity is needed. There is a point where there's confusion. Think about it this way. As she's walking through the crowd yelling, these are the servants of the most high God, you know, it's who bring you the way of salvation. She's got this Python Apollo spirit. Now, if you know your Greek mythology, who's the high, most high God of the Apollo spirit of the Greek pantheon? It's Zeus. And what's weird about the word Zeus is it's only one letter different from theos, which is the word in the Greek for God. And so there's confusion. What God are we talking about here? Are we talking about Zeus? Are we talking about another God? Are we talking about the Jewish God? And so Paul has to explain. He has to clarify. He has to remove the doubt and the confusion. And finally, when it just, I think, got to the point where it was just too much, he needed to deal with it. Notice how it continues. Paul, having become, what? Greatly annoyed... Day one, he was probably like, cool, from, this must be from God. Day two, okay, we can use this. Day three, wow, this is, this is heavy. Day four, people are getting confused. Day five, okay, this is annoying. Day six, I am completely, overwhelmingly annoyed. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. I mean, that's how this probably worked out. Crowd formed around, ready to listen again. Total confusion. What card are they talking about? I hear it's this. I hear it's that. And he's just like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this. I, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Now, who's more powerful, Apollo, who's the spirit belongs to, or the one who can command Apollo's spirit? 
And the name of Jesus is elevated amongst the crowd as the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the power over all powers. And here he is. His name is powerful. And we too need to attest to the power of the name of Jesus Christ. We don't back down when the lies come to us. We need to remind people who want to tell you that Yoda's cool and awesome and intelligent. And so is Buddha. And you say, you know who's more, smarter than Yoda? Jesus. You notice our culture thinks that a puppet from Star Wars is smarter than Jesus, who's formed the moral moorings of our entire Western world. It's how funny we've gotten. And we need to confront the lie and bring out the truth that if you want a master, if you want someone to follow, someone who's known across the world that every major religion adheres and brings up to the height, it's Jesus. Why don't you kind of get to know him? Since Yoda's kind of modeled after Einstein and some wise dude and doesn't even cut it compared to the workings of Jesus. He's not equal with these people. He's above them. And we need to point these things out and bring ourselves back to that reality and help other people see that. We don't just stay with the analogy. We go beyond it. And that's exactly what Paul does. And as he begins to engage this, people begin to be saved. And they see the power of Jesus. Now, this means that we need to make these conversations, offer people to, the, to come to know Christ, but that means it ain't going to go well all the time. Not everybody's going to like the message of Jesus. Not everybody's going to like the fact that they're a sinner. Not everybody's going to like the fact that they need a, a Savior. We have this problem, and not everybody's going to like the power of what Jesus brings about. That's exactly what happens. As I quickly summarize this section, her owners saw this and go, we just lost a bunch of money. We can't bring fortune-telling to the town anymore. This is a problem. And they grabbed Silas, and they grabbed Paul, and they drug him into the marketplace for a quick mob trial. And so they grabbed him for it, and everybody's going, what is going on? It says, these dudes are against Rome, and they're against Roman rule, and they're teaching things we can't do as Romans, and everybody's listening, and they're starting a riot. And everybody goes, what? And they start yelling and screaming, doing their own riot thing. Out come the police who are these kind of like ex-military guys who got the opportunity to still be in command and they've got a sword and they've got a, like this kind of staff stick with weird things on the end of it with a hook and they come up and they're able to just look at them and say, well, they're guilty and they're all shouting. So basically what they do is they beat Paul and Silas, not with a long rod, they beat them with the butt end of the stick. Poof, poof. And there's no limit like there is in Judaism for how much you get to beat somebody up, especially in a Roman town. Because you gotta understand, this is San Diego, and what they just accused them of is being open ISIS recruiters. That's the emotion going on in the text. Can you imagine what some SEALs might do to some open ISIS recruiters down in San Diego? Wouldn't be pretty, would it? Because they're going to make an example, and they're going to shame this, these guys as much as they can. So they beat the tar out of Paul and Silas, lock them in chains, throw them in the center of the dungeon. Number one, they say, you people stay there. And everybody who just received the gospel, who just saw Jesus do some amazing things, went, ooh. I think we'll back up. Because now it's dangerous to be a Christian. Because people don't like the gospel all the time. And people aren't going to enjoy the gospel, but God overcomes opposition, even governmental opposition. As we continue on, look down here in your Bibles at verse 25. Paul and Silas find themselves in the inner prison, fastened their feet to the, in feet to their stocks, or to the stocks. And now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Why well, ain't that the opposite of what most of us would be doing? Now, if I was beat up and I'm saying I'd be going, oh. Not nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No, they're in there singing 
hymns to God. And the prisoners are listening to them. Everybody's going, like, what's up with these guys? In the midst of their suffering, they're praising the Lord. Why? Because as Christians, we know something. When you're going through suffering, you're not alone. You're identifying with Jesus Christ. Because when Christ preached his message, what did he meet? He met opposition. An opposition that falsely accused him, that beat him, locked him up. You think these guys are going like, oh, poor us. Look at the gospel. They don't like the gospel. Maybe we said it wrong. Maybe we need to change something. No, they're going, man, we're living the gospel. We're exampling Jesus who also is just, this is what we're doing. He did what we did. This This is honoring to him. And suddenly, instead of having this, what was us and nobody likes it, we need to change something. No, they realize, you know what God's doing? He's just directing the wire in a new location. Now he's going to take it through suffering. He's going to plug it into people that are watching in the midst of our suffering, that are watching in the midst of our difficulty, that are watching in the midst of the opposition. People are looking at how we will respond. Will we respond with love? Will we respond with respect? Will we worship our God? Will we give up? That's what I love having seen in these three families, the four families that were affected and the three families that lost their teenagers. Every time I sat with them, every time I met with them, their singular goal was we want to worship our God in the face of the community because we want to show them we have not stopped loving Jesus. Number two, we want them to hear the gospel because they need him desperately. And they walked through their suffering to lose your teenager. And yet three of them, best friends, is immensely difficult. And yet what they said is, we want the world to know that Jesus Christ saves, regardless of the problems, regardless of the things that happen to us, regardless of human evil. It is our God who is good. People are watching. People are watching you as you go through your suffering, as you go through your trials, as you go through your cancer. People are watching as you go through the loss of your loved one, as you go through that loss of a job, as you go through these issues, people are watching. Will you continue to trust your God? Will you continue to proclaim him? Because God is just directing the wire in a different way. We don't always know where it's going to show up. But as they're doing this, it says about midnight, they were praying, the prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. That's a big earthquake. They happened a lot, but not like in this size where things are literally shaken. This kind of stuff happens. And so the jailer woke. I love that. The jailer woke. This is either a really bad jailer who got bored with the music. He's like, nobody well, these guys are boring, bad singers, you know. Or he got his head knocked upside when he suddenly got rocked by the earthquake. I think it's the second one. I don't think he willfully would have fallen asleep. I think this earthquake shook so hard, he hit his head and he's out. And he wakes up. Everything's open. It looks like everybody's gone. And so when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, it says. And he was going to kill himself. And when Paul said, do not harm yourself, We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be what? Saved. Where did that word come from? What's he talking about? Except the fact is this. Many times you think when you present the gospel to somebody and nobody was listening, somebody's listening. I mean, here's Paul, and here's Silas, and here's that girl. These are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way of salvation. Saved. Where do you think he heard it? 
He heard it from the girl. He heard it from the crowd. He heard it from these people. Though they were locked up and thrown in a cell, he didn't care, though. He would shut down his heart. These guys are enemies of the state. I'm going to do my thing. And then God rocked him. And sometimes it takes us to be rocked before we're ready to hear what Jesus Christ has done for us. Can I tell you something? You're here today in church and you're not a Christian. Do not wait till God has to rock you, please. If he wants you, he'll mess your life up to make you see it. He'll let you mess your life up to make you see it. We call it rock bottom. Don't wait for rock bottom. You go, ah, Christianity's for all those mess ups, all those addicts and all those screw ups and all those criminals and all those people who really think they need something to get them out. Dude, I got a car. I got a Tesla. I got a nice house. I got a paycheck. I got a great job. So did Lydia. And she didn't wait to be rocked by God. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't for the poor and the broken only. It's for the rich and the powerful. It's for every single human being on the planet because you're made in God's image and he wants to redeem you from your sin, from the mess you've done in your family, from the abuse you've done with your friends, from the garbage you've put in your life, from all the struggles and the lust and the evil that you know is there that you wouldn't want your mother to find out about and you don't let anybody find out about because you don't tell anybody. Or you parade because you think it makes you cool and strong. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line, is you will face God in a judgment one day and you don't need to be rocked on earth first. You have the opportunity right now to hear that Jesus Christ has borne your hell for you, your judgment for you, to take it on the cross so that you do not have to take it in the end. And he offers you an exchange as a gift. I will take all your hell, all your sin, all your garbage, all your mess, and what I will give to you is I will give you eternal life. That means you get to be a child of God. That means you get to be fully what I made you to be. That means you are forgiven of your sins and your mess, and I will transform your life. Let me in. Here's my gift. Why do you need me to destroy your life for you to receive it when it's available right now? The jailer asked that question, what do I have to do to be saved? The answer is the same. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That word believe, awful, awful, awful English word. The Greek word is translated in multiple different ways. Let's just put it this way. We believe in a truth and you trust a person and this word means both. On one side, I want you to believe that God has promised you that if you trust Jesus Christ and follow him, he will enter you into heaven. He will redeem you and save you from your sin. He will lift you up out of hell and he will put you eternally in his presence. That's his promise, but you gotta trust God. You gotta trust that Jesus Christ did what you needed. And then you gotta identify with him. You gotta lean on him. You gotta get with him. And that's what he does. In fact, after they spoke this to him and to all in his household, because apparently he brought him home, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized. And baptism is an opportunity to stand up and tell the world, I'm following Jesus. I'm done with the past. I'm shutting the door on the sin. I'm putting away Satan and all his minions. I'm after my God and he is my God. He has saved me from the pit. And I want to encourage you today, you don't have to wait to the end of this message and for some emotional music time or something like that. What you have is the opportunity right now to make the decision in your heart to follow Jesus and not the world and your junk in the past, to receive his gift. Now, I ask you to let us know and that you'd sign up right now to get baptized because we're doing baptisms in two weeks. And so I don't see why you wouldn't right now grab that blue card, just say, I need Jesus, let us know, and you can bring it to me at the end of the service and we'll get you signed up for baptism. It's time to cut bait or go fishing. I'd advise you to go fishing. I'd advise you to get right with God. Don't wait for God to have to rock you. 
Don't wait for God to have to take you to the place where you are on the hair's breadth of death. Do it now where he can use your life and transform those around you. That's my challenge to you guys. And as a church, I think this is the message that we give. But I get it. I know the world doesn't like us. and They still didn't like them. They were locked up and the jailer gets to do his thing all by himself. And nobody's seeing this. So what good does it do for the reputation? You know, it's still bad out there. Maybe we need to adjust this just so people will listen. Hold on. God's going to uphold the reputation of the gospel. God will absolutely uphold the reputation of the gospel. It is not about it being liked. It will not always be liked. It will not, but it will be upheld. God will not let his gospel be ashamed in a public setting as it had been done. And so suddenly the morning comes in verse 35. says, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, well, the magistrates have let you go. Therefore, come on out and go in peace. That way all the town knows not to follow this stuff. But Paul said, they've beaten us publicly. Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Now, have they thrown us into prison and they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. In other words, hey, you Romans, you really want to be Roman? Well, you just beat up a bunch of Romans. And according to Roman law, that is the worst thing to do is falsely accuse a Roman citizen and beat them without a Roman trial where they can appeal to Caesar. And now they're in trouble with Rome. And suddenly the very ruler Romans suddenly fell back on top of them. Their very idea, their very triumph, their very thing that they thought made them strong is the very thing that made them weak. God loves to do this. How long have we heard the yelling, tolerance, tolerance, only now who's the bigots? Who's yelling the hateful statements trying to shut down conversation when the church is just sitting around going, hey, we know we've been jerks and we're sorry and we're changing that tune, but you're all made in the image of God. We just need to have the conversations. We're going to do it respectfully and we're going to do it with each other. Hey, we understand that you think we're intolerant. Trust me, we love all of you. We may think of sin differently than you do, but God loves you. He's given you a way and he's given you a grace and he's given you access to the kingdom through Jesus Christ. The message is the same no matter where you're from, what your problem is or what your flavor is. Guys, God loves you. And yet we're told what tolerance is. We're told by the gods of sexuality and the gods of potential what we ought to be and how we should be. But the great God of Jesus Christ has already reminded us who we are. And one day we're going to see their thinking on truth is going to be their weakness. And their thinking in science is going to be the thing that doesn't lead them to what they think it will. And we have to be confident that the name of Jesus stands. The gospel will remain. And the times will change. And so what happens is these men, the police go and report to the magistrates, hey, um, these guys are Roman citizens. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they apologized. That got around. They went to Lydia's house and told them what happened. And that got around. And when they'd seen the brothers, they encouraged them. And then they left, leaving Dr. Luke to grow the church. The gospel was no longer something to be ashamed of. Nobody was going to get on that again. Not after what just happened. And so God directed the wires. He empowered the gospel. It came to the people and it did its effect. And so we don't need to fear that we need to change the gospel so people like it. We need to be the people who are willing to stand up and ask God, God, where are you sending us? And then we need to obey. 
And then we go, God, give us the opportunity. And we need to give that opportunity. And when that oppression comes, we need to stand up and realize that our God is the great God is going to overcome every opposition that we've ever faced. And the gospel will continue. Amen? Here's the thing. The good news hasn't changed, but it will change any world. And it has changed every world, every culture, every people it's ever come to. And it will continue to do so. Let us be confident in our God and in his message. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would indeed help us today to be brave enough to ask you, where is it that you want us to bring this message? And God, when you answer, help us to be brave enough to step out so that the next time we ask, you're willing to tell us again. God, in the tension and the opposition, we ask that you would rise up and defend your gospel. We ask that you would rise up and help us who are going through our trials, that we would suffer under them rightly and give you glory, that people would hear your message. And God, would you give us strength where we need it? And would you help us to love those around us, that they may hear the message of Jesus regardless of whether they've thrown us in jail or whether they've repented at a riverside. We thank you for the mission you've given to us. May we be faithful in living it out. It is in your name, Jesus, in which there is great power. In the good name of Jesus that we pray, amen.